Hello, welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm your host, Joe Lupton. Bruce remains on holiday, presumably uh, sipping shoku, watching the fall colors over Kyoto, maybe. He's in Japan. Uh, but never worry. Uh, once again this week, we have my partner in crime, Mike Hansen, to uh, discuss the week's events. This weekend has been quite a week, so there is a lot to discuss, uh, you know, from growth to central banks. Uh, there's a lot going on. Uh, let's start with the growth side of things first. This year has been chap choppy, but I think you can characterize on average growth being somewhat lackluster after last year's very strong growth. As we move deeper into the current quarter, I think the data is mixed about whether we're going to stay lackluster or whether the momentum is falling further into something more of a more of a concern and arguably the R word is on people's lips. Um, I see signs of resilience, but also see those signs of momentum loss. Mike, we, this week we got the important global PMI releases. Uh, that's probably our single best tracker of activity. Uh, right. And that's for the month of October. What's the message that we're getting out of that? Uh, weakness, or at least certainly a loss of momentum, right? So uh, the manufacturing sector looks like if the surveys are correct, and we'll talk about it in a second, the fact that some of the data has not been nearly as weak. But it's certainly pointing to what we've been flagging, which is a contraction in the uh, industrial sector globally as we go forward. The all industry PMI was a little bit better in the sense that it's signaling uh, low but positive growth. But even there, the services PMI has been weaker than we've been anticipating. We have been looking for this rotation right towards services and away from goods, and that would be a source of support. And the PMIs, at least, aren't really giving a lot of comfort in that view. Yeah, I mean, so I I think everything, I would agree with everything you said, and I guess all of this is about, it's almost a little bit of a Rorschach test. Like, I, I would say the level of the PMIs, is, as you pointed out, they are pointing to weakness, but they are pointing to something in line with our forecast of global GDP growth of 1.5% annualized. That's about a percentage point below potential, so fair point, it's weak, but it is in line with our forecast, and it's one that I think is still consistent with the story of something of a of a soft landing if you want to kind of project that going forward. I think the point you're raising is the most important is just the momentum loss that we're seeing. I think some of the sectoral issues are concerning the 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 signal of a hard landing in manufacturing I think is is particularly concerning. Uh on that point, you know, I we've been noting that some of the actual IP reports for August at least um, and some of the the few on September were not pointing to that. What are the the? We got some more IP reports this week. What's the message there? This week a little less uh, supportive. So coming out of Asia, which you know is a number of bellwether economies, there you did see weaker uh, IP data for Japan, for Taiwan. You had some softening in Korea. You had some of the trade data a little bit softer that we got uh, some early looks at as well. So uh, again, it's not pointing to an obvious breakdown per se, but it's certainly pointing to some further softness, uh, you know, perhaps getting more in line with what the PMIs might be suggesting in terms of a, an outright contraction in manufacturing that's, that's in the pipeline. Yeah, right, right. And then the question will be, are services going to be resilient enough to offset that and keep just even a kind of modest growth going forward here. Uh, now, before everyone gets too depressed, uh, I think the, the there are important areas in the in the macro economy where things are actually surprising to the upside or showing kind of 
pretty impressive resilience. Uh, and I, that case in point would be the labor markets. Why don't you say a bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Well, obviously, the U.S. came in stronger than expected. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there some details. The unemployment rate did move up, and there's some some interesting divergence between what's happening in the household versus the payroll survey. The household survey is more noisy. Uh, and we did kind of a little deep dive this morning and found that it does have a, a non-trivial likelihood about uh, 20% of the time that you've got a positive payroll report, you still manage to get a, a negative uh, household reading. So that happens from time to time. And we certainly got it this this month, right? And we, we, we so, kind of stressed to viewers that you don't want to look at the house or the, sig- the exactly. signals from the establishment survey. No, 100%, right? And in fact, right. one of the things that seems to be the case is it's not much of a leading indicator that there's a recession down the road. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a relatively small number of instances where that is followed by recession, say, within six months. Mm -hmm. Um, So the fact the unemployment rate is ticked up to to three, seven means it's still at a pretty low level. It's obviously not at the lowest it's been the cycle, but it's still a quite tight labor market. And we've had earlier data this week, for example, the JOLTS data that suggests that, in fact, vacancies uh, pick back up a little bit again. Right. So the tightness of labor market story is still there. You saw that in the wage numbers coming in slightly stronger than expected. And certainly it's still robust job growth from the standpoint of what we're having the payroll number. Uh, and so, you know, obviously we had the Fed this week. The Fed didn't see these numbers. They may have had some inkling, who knows. But regardless, uh, you know, it certainly puts the case in that you've got the resiliency, but that has a bit of a, there's a bit of a dark cloud behind the silver lining, right? Which is it may force the Fed to have to do more. And I'm sure we'll switch to that in a minute or two. Yeah, and we'll, and we'll we get, have a couple we'll- other yeah, we get we get we'll get to the Fed in a second. I, I think I just I it's just to underscore, right? I mean labor markets are like Teflon. They're they're still they're just like chugging away here and it is pretty strong and that will get amplified by falling inflation. Labor income will be quite supportive. And so that should give you some some encouragement. And and then of course we did have some solid payroll reports in in or not payroll, but labor market reports from Europe and Canada was pretty darn strong as well. Um, I will point out, just coming back to the surveys, the PMI employment did take another notable step down. I, I wouldn't say it's at a level of kind of that would be concerning, but it's it's no longer pointing to kind of very strong payroll growth like it was earlier this year. So that idea of momentum loss in the surveys is certainly um, kind of underscored. Uh, both on the employment side and the and the output side. So you started to to talk a bit about central banks. This has been a very busy week on central banks. Uh, we have been noting for I'd say about five six months that the, the kind of synchronized nature of central of, of central bank hikes, kind of when the ECB started getting in gear as well, then everyone was really moving sharply over the last six months here. Um, we are still seeing hikes and we're still looking for hikes, but I, the, the, the nature and the tone is changing a little bit. And I think there is some of that that you could see on display uh, this week where we had the, the Fed, Bank of England, Norges Bank, and also some very interesting comments out of the ECB. So uh, the big one, of course, is the Fed. Why don't we start with that, Mike? What was your kind of takeaway there? Well, the Fed of that whole discussion, that whole grouping, the Fed almost certainly comes across as the most hawkish of the bunch, right? And that's mm-hmm. notable because I think markets had been positioning themselves, really kind of looking for any hint that there was a, some sort of a more dovish pivot in place. And they thought they got that in the statement. Uh, and you could argue that some of the statement language uh, pointed in that direction, the idea that was going to take into account uh, the cumulative effect of uh, policy tightening and the lags of policy. Uh, but it also uh, said that it was going to, you know, hike uh, to something that was sufficiently restrictive. Um, and Powell really hammered home that latter point when the press conference rolled around. 
Uh, and so he, you know, left, I think, open just how large of a hike we're going to get in December. Uh, but really, the focus is on the fact that you're likely to have a higher terminal rate. He was very explicit on that likelihood and that rates would have to remain higher potentially for longer as well. Yeah. Uh, that, so that I forced mean, a bit of a repricing. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think, I mean, for, I mean, you and I were kind of joking about this earlier that, I mean, it's, it was almost like he was just telling us that rates are going to go higher, right? Because he made the point that he thinks rates need to go higher than they were in the September meeting. Uh, they need to stay higher than they were in the September meeting. And the path that is narrower for, for a soft landing. I mean, everything along those lines was very hawkish and really sets up, I think, the case that while it may not be their intentions, that they're recognizing that some type of recession uh, may be in the offing here and may be necessary to deal with the inflation problems. Right. And what's interesting about that, because you mentioned that, you've had a, a, several other central banks in the last few weeks, right? So you had the, you had the Bank of England, uh, you had Nordisk Bank that both sounded a bit more dovish. I mean, the Bank of England delivered the hikes that were expected, but they really talked down market pricing going forward. Um, it was kind of a knife edge case potentially for Norges Bank. They went in a slightly more dovish direction. We saw something similar at the Bank of Canada earlier. The, in Australia, we've had the RBA step down as well, right? So we've got a number of these small open economies that are doing a little bit less uh, aggressive tightening now. And I think that's, that's sort of fed this narrative or this view that maybe the Fed will be moving that direction as well. But the striking thing there is that no one's really seeing clear, strong evidence to the extent that central bankers have been saying they're looking for it, then inflation is coming down. There's a lot of reasons to think inflation is going to come down, but it's not yet really that evident in the data just yet, right? And it's against a backdrop where labor markets are still resilient. And I think what's striking for a number of these other smaller economies is that they're very concerned about the transmission of policy potentially being a lot stronger and a lot faster, particularly through the housing market. Uh, and that's a notable contrast to what we're seeing vis-a-vis -vis the Fed or for that, at this point the ECB right now, because I think they're still in, they're still in catch-up mode to some extent. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the the Bank of England's forecast, I mean, they've got a pretty sharp recession already in their outlook, um, and that's certainly something that uh, would suggest that maybe they they don't need to do as much more. Markets had moved far ahead, even from where we were on that. I think they were pointing to a terminal rate of five percent. Uh, Bank of England kind of came out and maybe was pointing to something closer to four. That's not far off from where we think a terminal rate is of four and a quarter. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I contrasted against the Fed, the Fed clearly is not getting that progress yet uh, with upside surprises, both on inflation and labor markets, and uh, feels like it's got, got more to do. Um, I mean, your sense is kind of terminal rate on, on Fed, if you were to put down a, a number there, is it uh, above five at this point? Well, certainly, I mean, Powell gave pretty good forward guidance. The dots are moving up. And so uh, you're hard pressed to not think that the committee at this stage believes that that needs to be kind of five, five and a quarter, maybe even five and a half. Right. So, you know, I think that's certainly where things are leaning right now. We'll have to see. Um, you know, again, the, the more the Fed has to do, the more it increases the risk that down the road things are going to end up. Uh, looking more recessionary, right? It's, it's a real race over the next several quarters between some of the sources of lift we talked about, including the, the idea that inflation is coming down and the fact that financial conditions are going to tighten that much further. Yeah. And, and just quickly speaking of inflation, we do get CPI report. And it's worth noting ahead of that December meeting, which I think you pointed out correctly, they didn't commit to kind of, uh, you know, a, a sized move on that. That could be anything at this point. Um, but we will get 
I guess, a CPI report next week and maybe one more before the December meeting? Day be- the day before the decision, right? We'll get yeah. the, the other CPI report. We'll get one more payroll report. We'll get yeah. you know, a handful of other data. Yeah. Um, what so, are we looking you know, we'll for see. next week on the CPI? Is it um, uh, still still fairly strong, right? Four tenths yeah. core, six tenths headline, right? So yeah. it's not as it's not as bad as it was in the you know the heat of the summer, but it yeah. certainly is still elevated. Yeah. Um, you get a couple other interesting releases. You will get UMish uh, preliminary November next week. Yep. Uh, last time around, the inflation expectations went up, and Powell noted that. Yeah. Uh, you also do get the senior officers survey for the fourth quarter. Uh, and, you know, that's going to tell us a little bit more about the transmission mechanism and these yeah. whole, this whole question about the lags in policy. bit more uh, lag, normally right? That's kind of a quarter lag, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's fair. And these are normally indicators you don't pay a lot of attention to. But in this environment, these things take on a little more salience, if you will. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I guess... You know, we've talked about a lot of the central banks. The one we didn't mention was ECB, probably because they moved last week and that was and they, they did hike 75. I guess we kind of felt like they were we would have put them somewhat in the, the dovish camp, given that it's an economy where we think they are sliding into recession. And yet you had a ton of ECB speak this week. But the biggest one was Lagarde, who sounded pretty darn hawkish. I think the biggest comment that she gave was that even a mild recession, which by the way is our forecast, but not even in their outlooks yet, even a mild recession would not be enough to bring inflation down, which suggests a lot more move on on rates. And um, that to me felt like, and you tell me if you disagree, of all of the central banks, it felt like this was one that was more of a reaction function shift opposed to others responding to the conditions of their economies. I think I think that's fair. I think there's an interesting debate about to what extent the the Fed snuck a reaction function shift in there or not. But I would agree that the one that seems most explicit, but also I would argue the one that's been less least clear for the longest while is the ECB, right? Uh, I mean, the the meeting last week actually came out kind of dovish, right? When it was all said and done, and here we are a week later, and all of a sudden it sounds much much more hawkish. Um, so that's continued to be, I think, a communication challenge for them, quite frankly. Right. Okay. Well, um, I guess let's wrap it up there. I have to say, Mike, I'd be a little remiss uh, to to not ask you this this question. For viewers that don't know, the the in the U.S. the World Series is going on, and I read, <laughs> and, and you are an avid follower of baseball. I read recently that every time the Phillies have won, or the the times the Phillies have won the World Series, and they're in the World Series now, was nineteen twenty nine, nineteen eighty, and two thousand and eight. Those are not auspicious <laughs> days for the Phillies to win. So should, are we telling our viewers that they should be vote, rooting against the Phillies uh, here? Uh, I am I'm not going to pine strongly on that other than to say, go Phils. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And being from Pennsylvania. Very good. Very good. Okay. Well, I, right, I think there are a number of baseball fans who would be quite happy to see the Astros lose. So right, I would certainly be one of them, but that's for another <laughs> conversation. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Mike. Thanks, everyone, for watching. We look forward to continuing the conversation next week on JP Morgan TV.